Well, guys, I want to thank you for tuning in and making this podcast a part of your day today. Uh, I am your host, Ryan Sebastian, and I am joined with my co-host, David Pinkham. I have survived the quarantine. I am alive. It is so good to be here. And guess who else got stuck in quarantine for 14 days? Yes, I got stuck in quarantine, but no, it wasn't because... Uh, I had it or I was, ex- well, I was exposed to somebody that we, I knew for a fact had it. Uh, so basically what happens, we, uh, our, our pastor uh, was exposed to someone in service mm. uh, that came to service who eventually tested positive for COVID. And so what we had to do is, of course, we had to shut down the, the church for two weeks, uh, do a lot of cleaning and shut down the church offices and all of us were working at home. I was working at home and I had a quarantine. Us on staff had a quarantine until uh, we know if our pastor tested negative. And of course he did test a negative. Um, so that was a little in- interesting for us. Uh, we kind of were planning for that to happen because uh, reality uh, to keep your uh, basically to keep COVID out of your church is a little unrealistic. Mm-hmm. You can do as much you can. You can clean as best you can, but eventually somebody is going to be in your church who has COVID. And so this is, we knew that coming in and we were prepared for it. And to be honest with you, we're, we're prepared for this to happen again, because reality, this is a sickness yeah. and people are going to get sick no matter how much you try to prep for it and clean and uh, so we we knew this going into it, and we're continuously having plans on if what happens if this happens again. Yeah, and the person that uh, that your pastor was exposed to, they've recovered, correct? Yes, they're absolutely fine, doing great. Um, That's good to hear. So they're absolutely great, and the whole situation is good. And we've we've had people in our church who've gotten COVID, but none of them uh, actually were in a service. So this is the first time that that actually happened. Gotcha. Well, hey, man, I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad they're okay. And uh, it's a good reminder for all of us to continue to stay vigilant, uh, even though we're probably going to make people feel a little bit uncomfortable uh, with the amount of cleaning we have to do and the, and the safety measures we have to take. I think, it's, uh, I think it's good that we're continuing to try to do our best. So uh, what we got going on today, Ryan? Well, I had uh, the... A great opportunity to talk to um, Trevor Hammerker. Um, he is somebody who is very passionate about building a better youth ministry. And we kind of talk about that as what are some strategies, some things we can do to make our youth ministries even better, even more effective, and reaching students, partnering with parents and what that looks like. So I was very, very excited to have the opportunity to talk to him uh, about that specifically, because that's something I'm passionate about. Um, as, a, as a youth leader, uh, as a pastor, I'm always looking for ways to improve, to be better in my job and be more effective in reaching students. So I was very glad to even glean some, um, some 
little nuggets that I can use even in with my own ministry. That's awesome, man. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation too, because uh, one of the things you mentioned, and, and this will get hit on in the conversation, is the partnering with parents. And one thing, if, if COVID has done nothing else, it has forced us to figure out how to partner with parents because the kids aren't allowed here or haven't been. So where are they going to be? At home. So partnering with parents is, a, is an awesome opportunity to continue reaching our teens. Absolutely. Well, guys, stay tuned as we talk with Trevor Hammerberg. Well, guys, I am really, really excited for uh, today's interview. We're going to be talking to Trevor Hammerker, and we're going to talk, be talking about a subject that we can all agree on, and that's how to have a better youth ministry. But before we dive into that, Trevor, how about you kind of introduce yourself and tell a little bit about uh, how you got into ministry and why you, what are you up to right now? Sure, Ryan. First of all, thanks for having me on. I appreciate this opportunity to share with uh, with your listeners. And I didn't grow up in a religious family, but I did become a Christian as a senior in high school when some young life leaders invited me to go on a fall retreat. And I remember being up there that weekend, and it was like, of course, I wouldn't have de- de- described it this way at the time, but it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, you are not going to go home the same person who came here. And that weekend and that moment really changed everything for me. That was really the time where I discovered the concepts like goodness and purpose and love, things that I've really never been exposed to or had never really known before. And so I wanted to share it with everybody. And so I, I went home and started checking around at different churches in our town and eventually went to this one church that had a pretty thriving student ministry. And that place just became my second home and um, fell in love with the people there. Um, began to be mentored by some of the pastors there, and I really never looked back. And so from there, um, really just devoted my life to investing in students and in teenagers, and that's what I've been doing for the last 15 years or so, working at traditional churches, working at some contemporary churches, and really just trying to lead as best as I can. And then, like we were talking about, somewhere along the way, I started betteryouthministry.com, initially just to share some of the lessons that I was learning um, while I was doing ministry, just trying to work it out as I was going. Lessons learned along the way. But I just finished my doctorate. And so now these days, I'm really just finding a lot of joy coaching youth pastors, helping them reach their goals with some of the lessons that I've learned along the way in their respective ministries. And I think what drives me, man, what drives me is the sense that there are students that are in the same place that I was. They, they're, they're not familiar with the sense of purpose. They're looking for it. They're not familiar with the sense of meaning, but they're looking for it. It's not so much that all of them, I think, are carrying this sense of guilt or shame or condemnation. It's that they're looking, they they have this sense that they were made for more. And what I want to do is try to introduce as many of them to that concept as possible. Um, Of course, you started uh, Better Youth Ministry, uh, but when you're talking about Better Youth Ministry, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So the concept of better youth ministry, I think, first of all, 
is that we can all always be improving. Um, my undergraduate degree was in business. And so for better or for worse, I bring some of that business mindset into what I'm trying to do in ministry. So that's kind of a, it's one of the lenses that I have. And for me, I'm always thinking about growth and we can define that and tease that out, you know, in different ways based on different contexts and who you're talking to. But whether you're talking about growth in terms of depth or growth in terms of numerics and, and width in terms of your ministry, either way, for me, complacency is not an option. And I really hope it's not an option for anybody else in ministry. So if you feel like your call is to take kids deep, then don't be complacent about that. If you feel like your call is to grow that ministry wide and reach as many kids as you possibly can, then don't be complacent about that. But then the other side of kind of being better and what I think about in terms of better youth ministry is that there are small improvements that can be made in a couple of key areas that can help us increase our effectiveness about what we're doing in ministry. And for me, I'm always trying to increase effectiveness. Again, however you define that, whether it's reaching more students, helping them grow more like Christ in their attitudes and their actions, whatever that looks like for you, it's those small tweaks, small changes, small improvements that can lead to uh, big uh, ministry changes and effects on the other side that I think about being better. So you were talking about different like key areas and before we actually recorded, we kind of, uh, we have talked about this and the key areas of a better youth ministry, but how do you identify those key areas? Yeah, that, that's kind of a funny story. I backed into it. Uh, a few years ago, there was a friend of mine, he's a senior pastor now, and I was meeting him for coffee and he told me about this show that he had come across. I think it might've been on Netflix at the time, I'm not sure if it's still there anymore, but it was called Kitchen Nightmares with Gordon Ramsay. And the concept was so appealing to me, I ended up watching every single one of the episodes. There's a British version, which is way less sensationalized than the American version, but there's also an American version, which is filled with beeps and sensationalized different things. But the premise of the show is that there are these small restaurant owners, and they're kind of at their wits end. They're struggling, they are running out of money, They're um, they're, they're not very clear on a path forward. They have no new ideas. And so Gordon comes and he makes a few small changes and turns these restaurants around. The, the initial concept, I think, ran, uh, he was there for seven days, but now kind of there's a new iteration of it. It's called 24 Hours to Hell and Back. And now he turns these restaurants around in only 24 hours. Uh, that was super fascinating to me to see that somebody could transform from um, out of money, out of ideas, out of energy, frustrated beyond measure to reinvigorated with new life and new possibility. Well, you know, anybody who's been watching TV for a while knows that this is not like a new concept. It was for me, but since then now I've come to find um, Hotel Impossible, which is the same kind of show where the host will go in and turn these struggling hotels around. And then probably more recently and maybe more popular than both of those is The Prophet, where Marcus Lemonis goes in and he identifies what's, what's going on in these different businesses and he helps them turn the corner. And he identified three P's that he really focuses on, the people, the product, and the process. And that got me thinking, I've done ministry in some very diverse, different contexts in terms of churches. Some of them have been small, traditional churches. Some of them have been church plants. At one point, I joined up with one of the North Point strategic partners and learned that philosophy and that model 
of ministry. And the thing that stood out to me was all of those groups have tripled in size while I was there. So we, we, we built momentum. We added volunteers. We reached students. And then one of the things that was happening as I, as I left each place was those things didn't trend down. Those things didn't taper off after I left. They, 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 they were sustainable. And so I thought, what was it that I was doing in those different settings that could be transferable to anybody else who's doing ministry all around the country in small churches or in large churches? And so I started off by identifying what I called the five P's, and those are place, program, preaching, people, and promotion. And so what I know is that if, if a youth pastor, in my opinion, anywhere in the country, would make a few small positive changes in those key areas, their ministry would be better because of it. And I think that those are the elements that we'll unpack in the next episode. But the more that I thought about those ideas and the more that I shared them with others, the more I realized that those five Ps didn't tell the whole story. Um, there's other areas, as probably anybody who's listening right now will recognize, they're probably waving the caution flag saying, hey, 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 what about? And, and I sensed that too but I didn't have a, a, a way to kind of systemize that or put that around a framework. And so there were other areas, kind of the more spiritual, non-technical areas, because if you just made some tweaks in some of those first five P's that I talked about, well, you could grow a ministry and lose your soul in the process. It could all blow up in your face. So I went back and I really thought about it. And there were four more P's that needed to be added. And those are the ones I hope to, to talk about in this episode. And so we're talking about purpose personal life, pastoring, and productivity. Those, to me, are the foundational elements that if those things aren't in place, then the other things that we're doing can fall apart very quickly. But if those things are in place, then we have a solid foundation to really build a growing, better youth ministry. Yeah, I'm glad you, you're, you, one of the points that you mentioned, uh, you talked about purpose. And I am, am right there with you of understanding that is an important understanding of your ministry to be more effective. But what do you personally mean when you talk about purpose? What do you mean by that? And can you kind of clarify on why that is so important? Yes, that's a good question. Um, for me, when I come around purpose and when I'm talking with different youth pastors about their sense of purpose, I frame it up by saying that your calling has to give you a sense of energy and direction. For me, it's the conviction that God has called you to ministry in general, but also that God has called you to this ministry in particular, where you are for such a time as this. And then also that you know what it is that you're supposed to be doing when you're there. Um, so many times when we bump up against some friction or some frustration, if we don't have a really solid sense of purpose, of calling from God that we are on a divine mission to do something of significance and to do something of importance, then we'll back down. And it takes courage to lead in ministry. And that's what, uh, to me, your personal calling is what gives you the sense of courage to, uh, to, to make the hard choices, to do the hard things, to call people to do um, what might not be comfortable, but might be best. And so uh, for me, it's just this conviction that God has called you to this and has gotten that God has called you to this place. Yeah, I, I would have to admit when it comes to 
purpose specifically, and you can go, you can apply this to ministry. You can apply this to outside the ministry. Uh, it, it is, is a almost a buzzword and also use synonymous when it comes to calling. Uh, of what is your calling? What is your purpose? What's God called you to? Uh, and I'm, I, for me personally, it was a struggle to understand and to me, what is God calling me to? What is my purpose? What is his purpose for me? And I, th- I think that's, that can be, and we've talked about this in the podcast uh, a few episodes back when we're talking about God's calling. It can be very confusing. And when we use uh, that type of language, because that language is so often used from the pulpit uh, within seminaries without much clarification, a lot of times what that actually uh, means. So I, this is when it comes to purpose, calling, um, it's something that I struggle with. And I believe a lot of people who are listening to us to this uh, episode have probably struggled with that as well as what is my calling? What is my purpose? And for those who are listening out and you probably agree with this as well, uh, Trevor, that uh, your ultimate, your ultimate calling is just be obedient and out of being obedient to God outflows your, uh, your passions outflows your heart and then that kind of that of passions in your heart goes into whatever career or a job or whatever it is that you're going into and that includes ministry like my passion and my heart is 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 outflowing of being obedient to christ is, is seeing teens and students know god and growing in their faith and making disciples and their own peers uh, th- that is, that is my my purpose, my calling, my heart, and it's all wrapped around my passions. Um, so, uh, so would you consider kind of when you're talking about purpose and calling? Would you be when you're talking about that specifically? Is that wrapped in that idea and that concept of of what your passions lie and where your heart lies? Absolutely, absolutely. So for me, I start at the high level, high macro level. And I want to start with the Westminster Shorter Catechism, all right? And it says the chief end of man or people, to be inclusive, the chief end of people is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's what I try to tell my, uh, my own children. It's what I try to tell students. Whatever you do, and that's very open-ended. That includes everybody from the business person to the teacher uh, to, to the cafeteria worker. Um, to the stay-at-home mom or dad, to the pastor, glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what you are ultimately here for. But then when you kind of narrow that down, I always think about this intersection between your greatest joy and the world's greatest need. And wherever those two intersect, man, that's where you need to invest your time, your energy, your effort, your resources. That to me is where you're called. And what happens with the true calling is that when you are operating in that space, you'll see genuine fruit resulting from it. Because there's a lot of people, you've probably met them and I've probably met them who felt like this is what I was supposed to do. But there's just no real fruit. There's no, um, there's no positive movement coming from their efforts in that place. And so for that for that person who finds themselves in that spot, it might be time to maybe go back to the drawing board to do some different, uh, 
self self awareness uh, tests in terms of you know enneagram or personality tests or something to where you can really fine tune what it is that you're called to do. Um, one of the guys that has helped me tremendously think through this process is a business writer named Marcus Buckingham. And of course, uh, he and, and his co-writer, Donald Clifton, uh, put out the Strengths Finder, and it's now been redone as Strengths Finder 2.0. But learning about yourself, and not in a broad sense, but in a very specific sense. So one of the things that they'll say is, you can't just stay as broad as, I like to work with people. Well, what type of people do you like to work with? What type of situations do you like to engage in? Is it students? And even within the students, are there subsets? Maybe you tend toward middle school, maybe high school, maybe college, maybe elementary. Um, and is it a situation where people are coming to you for counsel and coaching? Or is it a situation where, where you are um, uh, instructing them in some way or trying to sell something to them in some way? There's all kinds of interactions. And I think that we've got to be very specific in order to find our real purpose and calling. No, no, I agree. Um, and one thing that, uh, this may be overly stated as well, but it's so true and it's so simple is it's wrapping it in prayer. Um, cause I feel like, and this is true in my own life. There's been many times in my own life where I, I think I'm being called to something. And I, those of you who are listening and not seeing, I'm doing air quotes I'm called to something. But in reality, it's, it's me, me, my own flesh wanting something. And it's not wrapped in God. It's not being dependent on God. And when I, and then when I end up doing whatever that is, it ends up falling to pieces because in reality, it's what I wanted, not what God wanted. You are 100% correct. And there's probably other guys who, uh, and, or ladies who have this story. Um, when I became a Christian, the church that I linked up with, uh, when I got there, everybody was fired up. These students were fired up that we were going to have a guy named Clayton King who was going to come and be our uh, D-Now speaker. And we loved Clayton King so much that we went to Clayton King's summer camp, which is still running. It's fantastic. He's fantastic. Over Crossroads Summer Camp, uh, we went to Gardner-Webb University. And I was enamored with this man, like his, his stories of, of adventure, his faith in God, his ability to connect with people. I, I, I wanted to be the next Clayton King. And part of that self-discovery process and learning about yourself is to recognize I'm not Clayton King. He is gifted and talented and blessed in so many, I really say anointed in so many different ways than what God has called me to do and what God has gifted me to do. And so part of that is just maturity, honestly. Um, I think about things now and I know myself better now than I did 15 years ago. Um, but God walks with you on that journey. And I think he's patient with us, even when we um, sometimes might get in the way and mess it up. Oh, absolutely. And, um, and we're talking about where you, one part of the P's is the youth leader's personal life. Uh, what, what are the best practice of making that better, uh, specifically when it comes to your personal life? Yeah, your, your personal life, again, we're just talking foundational stuff. If this component, if this element isn't healthy, um, your ministry will implode. Your, your life, quite possibly, will implode. And 
I probably didn't have a full enough appreciation of this aspect of personal life until a couple of years ago. I came across a book called Cazone by Craig Groeschel. And in that book, he talks about getting this vision. Cazone is the Hebrew word for vision. And he talks about getting this vision for these different aspects or different areas of your life, things like your personal relationships, your health, your finances, your work, your spiritual life, all of that. And that maybe sad to say, but that's one of the first times that my eyes were opened to this whole nature of, of human beings, this whole nature of, of my own being. And so it, it occurred to me, I cannot serve others from an empty cup. I've got to be doing things that, uh, that keep my cup filled. And so when I think about it, the, the phrase that I use for this is that your faith and your life have to be authentic and healthy. And so one of the best things I think anybody can do is to think about the things, the places, the experiences that bring them great joy and to continue to put yourself in those places, doing those things. For example, one guy that I know likes fishing. I don't like fishing, but he does. For him being out on the water, casting that line out into the water, just brings him joy. It brings him peace. It, re it restores his soul. Well, I talked to him a few weeks ago and asked him when was the last time he had gone fishing. And he said, it's been, it's been a while, been working really hard, been feeling like he's working around the clock with different ministry stuff, different things that kind of, um, you can call them ankle biters, not children, right? But different <laughs> ankle biters, things that kind of pop up, things that pop up and they, they keep you distracted. They keep you busy. They feel They keep you feeling like you're doing stuff, but you're just spinning your wheels. And it's like, hold up, man. You've got to actually schedule these times. You've got to schedule appointments with yourself to bring joy and restoration back into your life and back into your soul. And I think that's really very important. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, from what I'm hearing, it sounds almost uh, like the practice or the habit of practicing a Sabbath. And either, and for, for those of you who are in ministry, Sundays are not our Sabbath. Sundays in reality is a work day uh, for most of us. Most of us are doing stuff on Sunday morning, Sunday night, having meetings or whatnot, Sunday afternoons. Uh, so Sundays is typically not a Sabbath. Now for me, my Sabbaths are Fridays. That's my day off. Uh, typically that's where I'm alone. Uh, during, uh, during the school year, my wife's at, uh, teaching and my kids are in school. I'm alone. I'm being able to spend a uh, whole day with God and just, and just my time to reflect and get refueled. Uh, and so I, th I think that's kind of in some ways what you're hitting at uh, is the practice of a Sabbath or even a, and for me, I practice a day of Sabbath and a time of Sabbath every day. It's where I'm alone and I'm alone with God. Um, so so that when you're talking about personal life, it sounds like you're, you're talking about the practice of a daily habit of the Sabbath. That's exactly right. But that's only part of it because then you've got other aspects, right? As far as finances, if, if your finances aren't in proper balance, it brings friction into your relationships with your spouse. I want to say that one of the leading causes of divorce is financial um, disagreements or financial problems. 
it brings such stress onto you and such stress onto your ministry. But the other thing is health. One year ago today, I've got this picture on my phone. My wife and I were in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and we walked up this mountain called, excuse me, we walked up this mountain called Snow King, and we got a picture up there and had somebody up there take it. And it's one of those moments where you're like, is that really me? That can't be me. That person in that picture is not me. I was shocked at how out of hand I had let my own personal health get. And that was confirmed when we had come home and I had to renew, uh, renew my life insurance. And they came and they took my blood pressure. And it was dangerously high. I'm, I don't particularly think I was that out of shape, but somehow or another, I had, I had let stress and overeating and not exercising really form a bad habit in my life. And so I sit here today with you, I'm 21 pounds lighter and my blood pressure is back under control. And so sure, it's about Sabbath and spiritual life, but there's also a whole lot of other things that kind of trickle down and trickle out in terms of the ways that I approach, that I approach, that I talk with my children and the way that I treat my wife and the way that I maintain health and balance for my own sanity and health. No, I, no, I agree with that too. And then that's one of the reasons why a few episodes back uh, on episode uh, 38 and 39 on the podcast, we talked about uh, physical, physical wellness and, and also um, mental wellness. How, and that kind of encompasses a lot of what you're talking with as well, because it does your, your physical wellness, your physical condition, uh, your health does affect every aspect from your ministry to you, to way you treat your family, treats your, affects your mood. Uh, even your health can, and mental health, both of those combined can even uh, produce mental conditions such as bipolar, uh, some other things as well from you not taking care of yourself. Uh, when it comes to your mental and also your physical wealth. And, and, we, and again, I talked, we talked about, I talked about this uh, during those episodes uh, back in the podcast that, that we sometimes, especially I'm talking about from a Southern perspective, church in the South, we don't like to talk about physical health from the pulpit. You don't hear it from the pulpit, even though it's clearly in scripture and the importance of, of, how gluttony is a sin, overeating, overconsuming, uh, how it's a aspect of not having self-control and not having self-control is also uh, leads to sin as well. So we don't talk about these issues, but yes, it, it, it is things that affect our, our, our ministry and our, our ability to be effective in ministry. So I absolutely agree. So, and when you've, you've talked about the part of, uh, of what's the next element we talked about personal life we talked about purpose what's the next element that we should be focusing on this is where things get personal with your students and your volunteers and the parents of students this is pastoring and i think about pastoring as caring for people's souls it's praying for them regularly by name it's counseling them. It's encouraging them at the, at the right time and in the right way. And for that, you really have to know people. You can't just rely on the program to do the work of a pastor. Um, there was a church that I was uh, consulting with one time, and they had built this big building. 
I mean, it was a phenomenal building, phenomenal. And they were shocked that more students weren't coming. They thought, without a doubt, with this building, it is top-notch, one of the best in town. Kids are just going to flock to this place. And that's actually not what they saw. They actually saw a decrease in the number of students who were showing up. And to me, the, the answer was obvious. They had forgotten to pastor the, their, their students. They had tried to rely on the, the building to do the work of a pastor. And so this just goes right back to relational ministry. And it goes back to, I became a Christian through Young Life. And this is one of the, uh, the stamps or the fingerprints of Young Life that has stayed with me and stayed on my ministry is that you've got to be active in contacting uh, students. You've got to be showing up. You've got to be visible. You've got to be present in their lives, actively praying for them, actively encouraging them and so forth. But this is slow work. Eugene Peterson writes um, uh, a lot of different, uh, he wrote a lot of different books. And one of them was called The Pastor. It was a memoir. And he uses this farm analogy for pastoral work because it's just slow and it's steady and it's tough, but it's important. And that's really ultimately beyond the programs, beyond uh, the promoting the ministry beyond the cool Sunday t-shirts and all that kind of stuff. This deep, slow, steady pastoral work to me, that's what's going to leave a lasting impact on students. And that's, what's going to make your ministry better. No, I agree. And, 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 and it sounds so common sense, but it's not always seen or practice is if you are not called to people, you're not called to ministry. And I, and the reason why I'm saying that specifically in a, in a youth ministry context, and it's not always the case. And I feel like that, uh, especially in the last 15 years, 15 to 20 years, that youth ministry is no longer seen as, oh, you're just a youth pastor. It's actually seen more as a career. Um, so it's not seen the same light as like 25, 30 years ago. It's a totally different realm. But sometimes a youth pastor or someone who's going to youth ministry, sometimes it has the concept or the idea that this is all fun and games. I'm here just to be stay a teenager, be a teenager the rest of my life, blah, 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 and have fun the rest of my life. And the concept of people and pastoring and leading people spiritually is not really thought of. Uh, and again, that, that's not true for most, but that is true for some. And the reason why I say that, because I've seen it, I've experienced it. I've been around those youth pastors um, and those youth pastors don't last and they end up leaving uh, the ministry. But yes, pastoring is so, such an important issue uh, when it comes to, to to any form of ministry, pastoral ministry. And if you're not adding that element and making that a priority, there's a gap in your ministry. That's right. And when you go back to discipleship, one of the things that we've got to be doing is personally inviting students to take their next step on the journey of faith. A lot of times we will settle for inviting them or challenging them to take that step in a message from the stage. But oftentimes what I have found is it's in the personal challenge, the personal invitation, getting with that guy, um, getting with, with, with the young lady or having one of your female small group leaders uh, really 
who's invested with that young lady say, listen, I see this in you. You might not even see it in yourself, but, um, but God is doing a work in your life. And I just want to challenge you to come with us on the mission trip. I want to challenge you to um, make it a priority to, to, to come with us on the fall retreat. I want you to set aside five minutes in your day to read the Bible. I honestly believe that a lot of students don't read the Bible or don't pray or don't engage in whatever way because nobody has actually looked at them in the eyes and said, I see this in you and I'm inviting you to join us in this. And I'm inviting you to allow God to work more and more in your life. Those personal conversations are a hundred times more effective than simply announcing that you've got a new thing going on from the stage. No, no, I agree. And it's, it's getting them invested. Uh, Cause I totally agree. Even from my own ministry, my own experience, uh, what I do on a stage is nowhere effective as me grabbing a group of people and challenging them and personally challenging them uh, to do something, to reach their, 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 uh, their schools, to do, uh, share their faith. It means a whole lot more when you engage than, uh, than to do a larger setting. And, and, and basically, and it goes back to basic, when you look at Christ, when he, his level of discipleship, so you had, you had the multitude, you had the 12, and then you had his three. So you had different levels of engagement, different levels of, of how you do discipleship. And you need to be practicing that same concept within your ministry, understanding that what you do from a large gathering is not as effective as what you do uh, with a few, but it has to be you engaging them and challenging them. So absolutely. Well, that's right. And everybody's at different spots. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against really cool, really engaging programs and events. I think you've got to, I wouldn't be a Christian today if somebody hadn't taken the time to do something that was fun enough to bring me in and attract me to hear the message. And so I think those things are incredibly valuable, but my concern is that they can become the end instead of a means to the end, which is calling kids to take on more and more of the character and conduct of Christ. And unfortunately, in the rush to create cooler, flashier programs and bigger events, that, that, that gritty pastoral work is unfortunately one of the first things to slide off of a pastor's calendar. So that some of the guys that, that I talk with and that I coach, one of, the, one of the most important things that they need to begin doing, and they know this, is praying for your students by name. And every time I bring it up, it's like, ah, oh, I, I used to do that. I don't know why I stopped. And we know why they stopped. It's because other things began to crowd that out until eventually it just slipped right off the schedule. Yeah, that's, that's one thing that uh, I'm enjoying about this time when it comes where we're in the midst of COVID-19. And again, it, it's, again, there's parts of that are horrible and people are, are dying from it. But I do feel like this has been a blessing when it comes to ministry and specifically youth ministry in a sense of bringing us back to the basics. Uh, when it comes to basic pastoral ministry, when it comes to you personally being intentionally engaging with your students, because I do, I do agree, because I live, in, I'm a 90s kid, um, grew up in the 90s, uh, was in high school in the early 2000s. Uh, but we were, youth ministry is different than what it is now in some ways. For we were, and it's changing and it's ultimately changing, but it, it 
back in the nineties was very much youth, uh, youth ministry is about events, heavily uh, event driven. Uh, and to be honest with you, with you, in my experience, this is not the case for most, but in my experience, there wasn't a lot of discipleship. Uh, there wasn't a lot of, of, of pouring into me and encouraging me and challenging me. It was, it was all about the fun part. And so it, it, is very, it is very easy for us as a youth pastor to get trapped in that because we get, it pushes numbers. It helps us to grow a youth group and we get fixed in, on that, thinking that that is actually success and wrapped in with success is numbers. And when numbers are great because numbers are people. So I'm not bashing numbers, but when your whole identity is wrapped into it, there's a problem. So I, I totally agree. Once upon a time, I worked uh, under a pastor who in the 90s, the era that you're referencing, had one of the largest student ministries in the country. Very celebrated, big church, big student ministry. And I worked under him and I thought I was going to learn a lot from him. And I did learn some things, but I also learned some things that are kind of toxic. For instance, one time um, he came into my office and I was reading a theology book. And he looked at me with this odd look. And he goes, why are you reading that? And I said, well, I'm trying to learn, <laughs> trying to grow, trying to develop answers to some of these questions that I have that others have. And he goes, man, you're wasting your time. You need to be swimming with the people in the shallow end. Go put that away. You need to go and get a copy of Us Weekly magazine because that's what the people are reading. Now, if you fast forwarded, you know, maybe you could call that BuzzFeed or Reddit or whatever they're looking at now, uh, Mr. Beast on YouTube. That's basically the equivalent of what he tried to get me to say. He said, put the theology down. Nobody, that's not going to help anybody. That's not going to help this place grow. You need to be hanging with the people in the shallow end. And I just felt so violated by that as a pastor, because that's what I felt like my, my real calling is. Like, sure, I want it to be fun. I want it to be creative. I want it to be engaging. But that's not the end. That's a means to the end of growing those students. But that's what we get. Uh, no, absolutely. And the last part of the piece that we're going to be talking about today is you, you, you mentioned we're talking about product, uh, productivity. So why is, of course, I, I know why this is important. You know why this is important. But in case if there's anybody that's listening that may not understand this, why is that so important for youth workers? Productivity is important because you and me and anybody listening to this, we only have 168 hours in a week. And that means that there's a, uh, a limited amount of time to do the work that's never ending. So much of ministry never ends. And I know that when I graduated from seminary, where every class gave you a, a syllabus and due dates and project titles or assignment titles, and I was awesome at school. And so I could just, I could write those papers and turn in those assignments right when I was told. But then when I, when I got my first youth pastor job, all of a sudden, there was nobody really holding my feet to the fire. There was no assignment due date. I didn't even know what I was supposed to be working on from day to day because summer camp was, you know, nine, nine months away. Um, the Disciple Now weekend was six months away. The mission trip was somewhere out there. And, and we probably need a student leadership team. But, I mean, there's really no urgency about that. Like, nobody's holding my feet to the fire about it. 
And so it just occurred to me, I got overwhelmed and over my head very, very quickly. And so I had to really learn about some productivity hacks or productivity tips to really maximize the 168 hours that I have in a week because I didn't want to be spending and you don't want to be spending all of that time doing ministry stuff, chasing your tail on the hamster wheel because that will grind you down and burn you out. When I'm at home, I really needed to be at home and focused on what's happening with my wife and my kids. When I was at work, I needed to be at work, focusing on the different ways that uh, I needed to pour into my ministry and my students. And so productivity simply is important because people are important and your ministry is important. So some of the best practices that I found, I came across a book. I was in an airport one time. And I came across a book by David Allen. It's called Getting Things Done. And the book is kind of complicated, but the one nugget that really stuck with me, maybe two, the first one is capture open loops. So what happens is as things come across your desk, as thoughts come into your mind, your brain is, is recognizing that and it's saying, hey, don't forget that. Hey, don't forget that. And then it pops back in at the, at the least helpful time so that, you know, you're at the grocery store and it's like, Hey, don't forget, you need to get an oil change. You're like, ah, oh, I can't do that. Or, uh, you know, or you're at your, your, your kid's gymnastics practice. And it's like, you need to make that call about summer camp and book the appointment or rent the van or whatever. You're like, ah, oh, I can't do that right now. And so what happens is the, all these open loops, they create gaps in your thinking. And David Allen says that your brain is for ideas, not for remembering. And so the system is very, very simple. You take a sheet of paper and you just write down everything that's on your mind. Just make a big giant list. And then, and that also, by the way, that's why sometimes when you're praying, it comes across your mind like, oh yeah, I really need to go do that thing. Those things happen. They still happen but they happen a whole lot less if you've got those open loops captured in a, in, a, uh, in a place that your brain knows. I don't have to bring that to your mind because you've caught it in a reliable tracking system. So that's the first step is you just write those things down. But then for each of those things that you've written down, and this is the magic, is you go back and you just write down what is the single next action step to move that act, to move that task, or to move that project forward. Not the next 10, that's fine, that, they'll come. But for this moment, you're just writing down the next single best action step to move that project or task forward. That will bring so much clarity and it will ease so much frustration for people who are trying to shift into what's you know, knowledge and relational work. We're not turning widgets. We're, we're engaged in very um, ambiguous and mysterious work. And so we've gotta have these systems to help keep us moving things forward and productive. No, I, no, I absolutely agree. And and what you're describing is kind of is how my wife is wired. My wife is a task writing oriented person where she has to write list, check off list. That's the way her brain works. Uh, whereas me uh, personally, if it is not on my schedule, it's not going to happen. If 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 I need to remember something, it I set a reminder. So hey, and I, that's one thing. Okay. Don't like having a smartphone for the fact that it distracts the living snot out of me and I have to have discipline with that. But I love a smartphone for the fact I can just talk into it and say, okay, I have an iPhone for those of you who are listening. I can say, hey, Siri, remind me to do this on this date. And it sets a, it sets a, uh, sets a reminder for me that 
it's so much easier now to manage your time if you really took time to do it and schedule tasks than it was before uh, the smartphone. Uh, but even even with that, one thing I practice, which is is been popularized by Kerry Newhoff and some others, um, but I, I was doing this way before I heard this from them. Um, it was actually something that my dad, who was also a pastor, uh, encouraged me to do is actually map out each day of your week what you're going to be doing on that day and even doing it hour by hour, even scheduling your, your time that you put in with your kids, times that you put in times with God in the morning, scheduling everything. That's a common thing that you do on that day, week by week. And what it actually helps you to, to release, it helps you to do is be able to see, Hey, and be, I need to get this done today. I have this little time. This is when I usually get this done. And it actually helps you be more productive in that sense as well. Well, it sounds like you're describing what Dave Ramsey would do with money. You're just creating a, you're just allocating your, your time in the same way he would say you kind of assign every dollar, you know, uh, a category. But one of the things is if, if the listener would simply begin by, and you can find any of these online, uh, doing a time audit. And so literally you are just tracking where it is that you spend your time. I know when the first time I did it, and even when I do these things, you know, I do them probably every quarter still today, I'm always shocked at, oh my goodness, like I thought I was so busy. I thought that, you know, that I didn't have time for whatever, but I am wasting plenty of time. And this is just something that we got to continue to circle back through and talking about the phone, a guy named Rand Fishkin, he's the one who invented the, the technology of infinite scroll where you can keep scrolling down the page and never, ever get to the end of it. And he actually regrets doing that because of how um, uh, disconnected and unproductive it has made us. So I think that the infinite scroll, those scrolling apps, typically social media, but other ones too, the infinite scroll gives us the sense, and this is dangerous, it gives us the sense that we are accomplishing something, but all we're doing is being active. And there's just a difference between activity and accomplishment and recognizing that difference is the key to staying productive. I agree. And if you look at uh, research um, in the last five years, they're showing that typically with millennials and Generation Z, that they're the, one of the most unproductive in the workplace because of a smartphone. Uh, they're showing some evidence of that as well because they're so consumed. That's the reason why some companies and some businesses actually have a policy where you cannot have a smartphone. You cannot bring your phone into the business you, you just, or you have to leave in your car or whatever uh, because of some issues they're having with my generation, millennial, and Generation Z is because we're so distracted by our sticking devices. It's a tough one, man, because the, the phone has made us so connected, so available, so efficient, like you were talking about with the appointment scheduling that it is such a valuable tool, but it can also be such a distracting tool. And trying to help people find that balance is uh, a very difficult challenge, and it's going to require a lot of self-control. Yeah, if, even from a ministry, talking about ministry uh, perspective on uh, using your devices, is for me personally, I had this, in fact, we had this conversation even last night with my wife. And I just told her is that I am getting too consumed when it comes to things that's rolling into my phone. 
So I've got to the point now where I, where I just told her, I said, look, I'm going to be taking my phone. I'm going to be leaving it upstairs when I get home and I'm not going to touch it till the next day. And so that's just, that's just a new policy I'm going to have on myself, a new standard I'm going to have myself because uh, it is consuming my time. Uh, even in, again, this is, this, this is something personally for me, but I know that it's affecting my ability to be effective in my family life with my kids and my wife. Because what it's my tendency to do, and most people's tendency to do when your phone's near you, is to pick it up and look at it. Pick it up, pull on the social media app, or pick it up and check your emails. Um, so even for me, my own practices for being distracted, not being as productive, for me personally, it revolves around a device. And I th think that is the case for a lot of people. Yeah. Well... The other side of that too is is productivity to me is not just in the office. I want to be productive with my family, with my kids at home. I like what you're saying in terms of having a set time where I'm going to put that away. You, through this time, we've been watching a lot of family movies and I don't really love the movies that my kids want to watch, but they wanted to watch the adventures of Alice in Wonderland the other night. And I think you're right for about 40, 45 minutes. I, they know. They, they're smart people. They know I'm not present. I'm not engaged with what the family's doing. I'm scrolling and liking and, you know, trying to find the, a cool meme or trying to post something different. So there is kind of a, the sense of being where your feet are. Again, if you're at work, be there. If you're at home, be there and try to keep those compartmentalized in terms of your attention, but not in terms of obviously your character. Uh, no, absolutely. And I really like uh, and all this when it comes to different P's, when it comes to your purpose, your personal life, productivity, and all this stuff is great when it comes to being more effective and having a better youth ministry. But if, a, if a, someone who's listening wants to get connected with you to kind of dive into this a little bit more in depth or just wants to connect with you to learn more, what's the best ways to get connected with you? Yeah, I actually created a page just for youth and culture podcast listeners. It'd be great to connect over there. It's got a valuable scorecard that breaks all of these different components down into bite-sized parts. It'll show them specific areas if they're into that kind of thing where they have room for improvement. So if you're listening and you want to get that, I set up that special page. It's at betteryouthministry.com slash Ryan. That's your name. Betteryouthministry.com slash Ryan, and you can grab it there. Well, man, I am super excited about next week's episode. I did. I kind of want to really dive into some of those topics because they're very kind of. This kind of leads right into that. But I'm going to hold up and wait into the, our next episode as we dive in more in depthly in how to have a better youth ministry. You know, I am. I am really thankful for Trevor's heart and his passion about kind of helping us on this journey of how to be better in youth ministry and be more effective in reaching students and partnering with parents. So very much thankful for his heart and his passion for that. Um, and quite honestly, there's things that I learned that I need to be better at uh, through this through this conversation as well. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a good cue for all of us to continue to be learners. Uh, no matter where we are in youth ministry, no matter how successful we may think we've gotten, 
there's always something else for us to learn. There's always a weak point. Uh, there's always a different way of doing things or looking at things uh, that we can learn from somebody else. So I really appreciate this conversation uh, that you had with him. Well, hey, uh, we want to thank you guys for listening today. And if you have been listening for a while and you have not yet left a comment or star review, we would really appreciate if you would do that. Uh, One of the reasons we ask you to do that is because it allows those who are looking for solid youth ministry content on all the podcast platforms to find us more easily. Uh, So we'd really appreciate if you guys would do that for us today. And guys, you definitely uh, want to tune in to our next uh, podcast because this is actually us, me and Trevor, this conversation didn't end just in this, uh, this week's episode. We continued to talk about more avenues and more ways to be better in our ministries. So stay tuned for our next episode.